Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, By you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they had saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream, they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. Father in heaven, we come to the end of a year and we're reminded that with the end of one thing ushers in the beginning of a new thing. And don't we know that as we read these words, living and active, that each time we come face to face with your word and your truth, in many ways it's like hitting a reset button, focusing us. For some, 2019 has been a very tough year. We know this, O oh God. Your mercies are made new every day. And as we take a look at the key to better decision-making today, we pray, Father, that it is a great reminder as we begin to step into something new. So bless our time in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One thing that everybody in this room has in common is the fact that we have all, at one point or another, made a bad decision. Now, when I say that, I don't have anybody out there going, not me. Not me. I've never made a bad decision. We've all made 
bad decisions. Some of them are really simple. Sometimes you take a wrong turn and it takes you to a wrong place. Sometimes uh, maybe you've been one that has at one point uh, been at a restaurant and you ordered something and you're taking a look at what the person next to you has and you say, oh, bad decision, I should have ordered that. How many of you have done that? Texting while driving, bad decision. <laughs> Texting while emotional, bad decision. Texting in an argument, bad decision. Let's just say texting, not so good. All right, so uh, bad decision making is something that we all have in common, and a lot of these are, you know, these are simple things, all right? These are simple things. But there are other decisions, because not all bad decisions, you would agree with this also, I think, not all bad decisions are created equal. It is a bad relationship. Bad decision. It was a bad career choice. Bad decision. It was a bad investment. Bad decision. As I say this, some of you are going, check, 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 check. And if I were to ask you, well, what is your worst decision? Some of you would say, well, how long do I have and how long is the piece of paper? Because I've made quite a few bad decisions. And if you have, you're not alone. You are in good company. You are in the company of Jesus Christ's church where his mercies are made new every day and that he not only works in and through us, but sometimes he works in spite of us. Because we know this, that when we make a bad decision with a relationship, there's a consequence. Sometimes that consequence can be a broken heart. When you make a bad investment with your money, there's a consequence. That consequence, you could end up broke. Make a bad career choice, maybe you could end up miserable. But here's the thing about bad choices. Maybe you'll agree. One bad choice sometimes leads to another bad choice that leads to another bad choice, and now all of a sudden we're going down and increasing consequences, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. It's kind of what we call a, snow a snowball effect. Because you made one bad decision, and now what happened is because of that bad decision, you became emotional, or the circumstance started guiding your next decision, and that's always a trap. When the bad decision we let uh, becomes the determining factor in our next decision. Does this make sense? All right, well, when that one bad decision becomes the determining factor in what you do next, usually that's not a good place to be in. And so what we have to do is we kind of have to, we have to stop and we have to put on the brakes and reevaluate everything and take inventory and do it before God. And that's one of the reasons that today's lesson is so important. Because we have to get back to wise choices. The Bible says something very interesting in Proverbs 1.7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge. In Proverbs 9.10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What's the difference? The difference is this. Knowledge is what you know. Wisdom is what you do about it. Wisdom is what you do with what you know. And so knowledge is the information, but wisdom is the implementation. And so it's what we do with the knowledge that we're given. And what we'll find is this, whether it be as a person, as a family, as a, as a church, as a society, when we lose the fear of the Lord, we've lost knowledge, we've lost wisdom. One place that we see that in the Bible, especially perhaps, is in King David. 
When the fear of the Lord is guiding him, he is a giant killer. When the fear of the Lord is forgotten, he's sleeping with a soldier's wife and then making one bad decision after another bad decision after another bad decision and eventually has his own soldier killed. And so we would acknowledge that the fear of the Lord, the beginning of knowledge, the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, this is very, very important, that they're both available to God's children. They're available through His Word, and they're available, available by the power of His Spirit. These things are available to us if we would only avail ourselves uh, to them. But we both know, we all know this, is that sometimes we can quench the wisdom that the Holy Spirit wants to give us because we're making decisions in the flesh and we're making decisions according to our own agendas. That's why I think today's message is really, really, really important. It's called Better Decisions 2020. Because I know that there are some folks in this room, maybe not everybody, but some of you are taking a look and you're saying, you know what, as we begin a new decade, it's not just a new year, it's a new decade that's being ushered in, you know, on December 31st. It's a new decade. And you're hoping that maybe this next decade is going to bring uh, God's favor and God's blessing and, uh, and these good things from God. And that's God's sovereignty, but there's also our responsibility in the mix, and that is to make better decisions with what's been given to us, what's been imparted to us. So today we're going to take a look at seven wise men and, no, I'm sorry, four wise men. No, there's three wise men. No, we don't even know that. We don't know how many wise men there are. That's the point. All right, we're going to take a look at a few wise men. All right, and as we look at a few wise men, they're gonna, we're going to take a look at their journey, and their journey is going to help impart, I think, some wisdom for us as we are on our continuing journey together. Now, I say that for a reason. How many wise men were there? We don't know. So what we first want to do before we get into the story of the wise men is we kind of want to dispel the myths. The myth of your manger scene has... Well, it's the, depending on how complex your manger scene gets, some of you just have Mary, Joseph, and the baby. Some of you have the shepherds around. That could be somewhat accurate. But others have uh, other characters around. We have no idea if they were there or not. And then some of you, at your manger scene, you have the three wise men. Now, most likely, the three wise men came when Jesus was more like a toddler. All right? How many wise men were there? Well, tradition tells us that there were three, and their names were... Balthazar, Gaspar, and Melchior. But here's the truth. We have no idea how many wise men there were. There could have, we know that there was more than one. But we don't know how many there were. We don't know their names. And we don't know exactly where they came from. All we know is what the Bible tells us. That's the only thing that we're going to try to be definitive about is what the Bible gives us. Anything else is speculation. And why that sometimes can be helpful, it can sometimes be harmful if we become a definitive and dogmatic about things that the Bible is silent on. The Bible tells us what we need to know, but it doesn't tell us everything that there is to know. So what do we need to know? We're going to see that in our passage today. Uh, as we look at the first couple of verses, Matthew... 2, 1 and 2, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, how many does it say? It doesn't. Behold, wise men came from the east. Where in the east? We don't know that. Came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. 
again, there's the information that we have in these verses, and it's not as specific as we might like it to be, but it's exactly what we need it to be. These men from the east came. And when they came, it says they were looking to worship. That's a big deal. When they came, they were looking to worship. Now, think about this for a second. In our manger scenes, I had a little debate with my son about this the other day. Because he looked at the little manger scene that we have on the little coffee table in our house. And he was like, Dad, you know, after you just told me the story of the wise men, I think we need to kind of move them. I said, what do you mean, move them? He said, yeah, we should probably move them over by the piano. So let's have the rest of the manger scene here, then let's move the wise men by the piano. And I'm like, well, actually, that's not accurate because they came from the east, so we actually had to move them over to the kitchen counter. Uh, so, so here's the debate as to where, but we know that they came from the east. And uh, as we look at them, when we think of the wise men and the terminology that's used that these are uh, wise men, they come from the east. The terminology, sometimes you've heard them call the magi. All right? And these men were astrologers. They were scientists. They were philosophers. When a king had a problem in the Old Testament, be it the pharaoh of Egypt or be it the king of Babylon, what they did was they called for their wise men to come and help them interpret what they couldn't figure out. And this was something that happened through the ages. They called for their council of wise men. But here you have these wise men, and what are they looking for? It says here they're looking for the king of the Jews. Why? Because they saw a star. Now, there are lots of stars in the sky. So what made this particular star special? Well, whatever it is, it wasn't just a matter that they saw a star, but they were able to put it together with something that they understood from Scripture that wasn't their own. How? They came from the east. How would they know what Scripture said? Well, when the children of Israel, hundreds of years prior to this, when they were taken captive, what happened was is that the, the Hebrew Scriptures were put in the hands of their wise men. And the kings would commission the wise men, okay, figure out, what does this mean? Why is this here? And so here you have these foreigners, these Gentiles, and they're going after the king of Jews because they see this star, and it's based off of this scripture, we believe. It's Numbers 24, 17, and I'm not going to ask you necessarily. You might have already turned there, and if you did, that's cool. Well, Numbers 24, 17 reads like this. This is a prophecy that was made by a man named Balaam who was commissioned and he was hired to prophesy against the children of Israel. But when he got to the place where he was going to prophesy, well, God put the words in his mouth. And this is what he says. So this is over a thousand years before, it says, Numbers 24, 17. And maybe you didn't know this was in the book of Numbers. But check this out. It's kind of cool. It says, I see him now. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and the scepter shall rise out of Israel. Stop right there. That's the prophecy. All right? Now, here's the thing. The children of Israel, their religious leaders, they would have had this prophecy. 
Anybody living on the planet probably would have been able to see this star. But the wise men, they were looking for something. And for some reason, they were the ones given the discernment to say, hey, that scripture that you read way back when, that star that you see up there, follow it. Go. And that brings us to our first point today when we're talking about wisdom and better decisions for 2020. The first thing that we're going to talk about is why we do what we do. Discernment. Why they go. Why do they go? Because the Holy Spirit has given them the discernment to take a look at the Scripture, to look at the star, and to say, okay, it's time for us to go. Now, wouldn't that be nice if we had a leading like that? Wouldn't it be nice if for the decisions that you're struggling to make in your world right now, that you could just say, okay, I don't know which way to go. There's a star up there, and God's telling me to follow that star. Wouldn't that be really easy and really simple about, about the why we go, where we go? But the wise men knew this. Hey, listen, if these scriptures were written over a thousand years ago, and if this God can do that, if he can put a star in the sky just like he promised he would, we have not seen a God that can do that. We're going to worship. There's the why we do what we do. And when we ask ourselves why, if the decision that you make is centered on worship and assigning worth, worthship, if it's assigning worth to God, and if that's what we're worshiping and that compels the why we do what we do, we're going to be in really good shape. When your decisions come from your worship, this is a good place for us to be. Why? Because so many times our decisions are made because of something in our head. Something that society's put in there. Something that we saw. Or because of our emotions. That's why what the Bible says, and the reason that we struggle with anxiety in our culture today, it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasseth all understanding, will guard what? Your heart and your mind. All right, the reason that we're struggling with stress and the reason that we're struggling with anxiety is because our head and our heart are often not in the right place because if they're not centered on the God and He's not the one that we're assigning the greatest work to, what we're doing is we're going on our own path. And then we ask ourselves, why? And then we say, well, why are you doing what we do? Here's why. Because what the wise men found and what they believed that they were going after was the missing piece of the puzzle, the thing that would make everything else make sense. Listen, if you believed that there was something missing in your life, that there was just, you know, that there was just this hole, this gap, and, and you believed you could go to a place and that would give you all the answers that you were looking for, you would go. How do I know that? Because you're here today. You're here today. Why do we come to church? We come to worship. Even if we struggle to get here, even if you just barely crawl out of bed and barely get here, why do you come? You come to worship. That's why the wise men were going. We have seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him because he's the thing that makes everything else make sense. Do you know who knew this really well? The Apostle Paul. Early in the book of Acts, he's known as Saul of Tarsus. 
the persecutor of Christians. But after Jesus taps him on the shoulder and says, Jesus taps him on the shoulder and says, okay, you need to kind of turn around and come my way. Well, what happens is he becomes one of the greatest leaders in all of the New Testament. He becomes Paul the Apostle. Now, check this out, because it's over in the book of Acts, and if you want to turn there with me to chapter 17, it's Paul reasoning with Greek philosophers. These guys would just gather at this one place, and all they would do is philosophize. They they would share their different ideas with one another. That's all that they would do. They would just sit there and they would, well, you know, it's like our philosophy says this. Well, this philosophy says this. And they were always looking for new ideas. But it says here in verse 16 of chapter 17, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. This bothered him. They were given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Oropagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. That's why they were at this place. And now, and we're hearing something new from this guy, but in order to test how true it is or how reasonable it is, we're going to bring him before the philosophers and give him his time to shine. Well, watch verse 22. It says here, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Oropagus and said, Men of Athens, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're going right to hell. I'm sorry, that's the wrong translation. <laughs> Listen to, how Paul mini- listen to how Paul ministers to them when he's given the opportunity, when he's placed in the situation. Listen. Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing. Again, it comes right back to the worship. All right, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life breath in all things, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our very being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, 
we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by the art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he's appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Stop right there. Isn't that cool? Here's what he did. He looked for the opening. He said, you have a God for everything. You have a God for water. You have a God for the sun. You have a God for pizza making. You have a God for whatever it is. You have a God for everything. But you have one God. It's the unknown God because the rest of it doesn't make sense. This is the piece of the puzzle that makes it make sense. And this is the God that I'm about to tell you about. He created the heavens and the earth. He sent His Son. He raised them from the dead. Now notice here, Paul doesn't even say the name Jesus. That's pretty interesting too. And yet what he does here, he presents such a powerful message and he meets these people where they're at, at this moment. By saying, listen, the thing that's missing in your life, the gap, that God, the unknown one, I can tell you all about him. The Bible tells us to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in our hearts, but to do it with meekness and gentleness. If anybody understood this, it was Paul. Why? Because he was Saul of Tarsus. He was beating the people over the head with his religion. But now what he's doing is he's ministering to the need that's right before him, and he's not holding anything back. There's the why we do what we do. Why? Because this God, the God of the Bible, he's the one that makes every other part of our life make sense. So our motivation always has to start with him. In John 1, he's called the Logos. He's called the reason. He's called the Word. He's the Word. He's the communication from God. This is pretty significant. Because if there is a creator, if he made everything, and yet we can't know who He is, and He hasn't found a way to communicate who He is to us, then the entire world and everything we know is just a simple guessing game. But it doesn't have to be a guessing game because this God came and He made it all make sense. And He's trustworthy. He's the why of what we do. Why are you staying in this relationship? Why are you leaving this relationship? Why are you making this move? Why are you making that move? When the answer is Jesus, when the answer is truly Jesus, then we can't go wrong. And you know that, and here's why you know that. Because there are times in your life, perhaps, that you've made decisions that you know were led by God. And when you know you made that decision that was led by God, you could feel His power inside you, at your back, and you knew. Even if there was struggle, you knew that you were walking with him. On the other hand, those of you that have felt that have also felt what it's like when he's not our why. When he's not the why of why we're doing what we're doing, then what happens is we have a tendency as Christians to get lost. And now all of a sudden what we're saying is, I don't feel him anymore. I don't feel him. I don't see him working in my life. Guess what, gang? He never moved. 
He never moved. His Word is always in front of us. And if you've come to the cross and you've repented of your sins and you are His child, then He's never left you. Sometimes our decisions can have Him do one of these things. Maybe if you're a parent, you've done this. Or your parents have done it to you. Or they were trying to advise you and you kept doing things your own way. And finally they said, okay. I'm just going to sit back. And I'm going to be silent now. So there's the why. And the why has everything to do with discernment. And for the Christian, what we know is this, is that true discernment is given by the Word and given by the Spirit. All right? This is how the Christian is supposed to be making our decisions, with the Word and the Spirit. It doesn't mean you're going to have a verse for everything that you do. Should you go to IHOP or Denny's tomorrow morning? All right, well, I, you know, I read in the book of uh, Third John that you know, God's telling me to go to Denton. No! You might not have a verse for everything that you do. All right? But I tell you what, when you begin to look at some of the decisions that are confusing in front of you, and you begin to realign your relationship with God and with Scripture, what will happen is, is that your priorities will make things a lot clearer than perhaps they were. So there's the why they went, okay, and that was a matter of discernment. But then there was also the where they went, and that was about direction. If we want to make better decisions for 2020, it's about going in a better direction, and it's about where we're going. Some of you here know exactly where you're going. Some of you are saying, you know, and I know exactly what God has placed on my heart. I have this burning desire to do something or to go to this place. All right, the wise men, they find themselves going to Jerusalem traveling, a far journey. How far would they go for this? Well, let me ask you something. How far would you go to get the answers that you're looking for? They're going to go wherever the star leads them. That's their determination. It's the where we're going. Now, again, it would be nice if we just had a star. Like back in the Old Testament, the children of Israel at one point, it says at one point that they had a uh, fire by night to move them, and it said during the day they were moved by a cloud. So if the cloud didn't move during the day, and if the fire didn't move at night, then the children of Israel, they would be still. They wouldn't go anywhere. Some had a burning bush appear to them. And we say, oh man, I wish we could have that. Some were walking with Jesus Christ for three years. The disciples were actually walking with Him. And we can't imagine what that was like to just be saying, Jesus, where should we go? That would be really simple. What He's given us is He's given us the Word and He's given us the Spirit. And this is like our GPS. But sometimes we find ourselves defaulting to the wisdom of the world, forgetting about the worship. And because of that, what happens is our God positioning system, some people call it a GPS, gets thrown off. It gets thrown off. And we don't know which way that we're going. Listen, if, Je if Jesus isn't at the center of your decision-making then your compass is broken. It doesn't really matter how successful you look in the world's eyes or what kind of promotions or what kind of raises you get in the world's eyes. If Jesus isn't at the center, then it doesn't matter where you are. Just like for so many people that say, well, listen, if I just move here, it's going to be a lot better. No, it's not. Why? Because you're still bringing you. You're still bringing you. 
So if you're confused about where to go and why to go, then the first thing that you need to do is the first place that you need to do is you need to get on your face and you need to pray and you need to get back to the heart of worship and make it all about Jesus again. And then he'll start making the other part clearer. Listen, some of the way that we make decisions nowadays in 2019, it's no different than what we did when we were kids. I just want to hear what I want to hear, so I'll take the magic eight ball and I'll shake it until it gives me a best two out of four about what I want to, about what I want to hear. Okay, God, will she date me? And then you shake it. Never. Okay. Best two out of three, right? All right, God, will she date me? May it be so. Yes! But that's not the way that it works. The way that it works is that it starts with worship. And if worship is our default, then our direction is going to become clearer. This is really, really important because so many of us are living in the land of confusion. And it's like the GPS is broken. Oh, the wise men, they had the Holy Spirit and they had the Word, Numbers 24, 17, and they're going to Jerusalem and they're following the star. But what if where you're going isn't clear? What are some reasons your GPS could be off? Well, again, if we don't have Jesus at the center of our decision-making, but listen, there are also some other things that could throw your GPS off. All right? How many of you have ever had It was not working the way that you want it to work, right? Well, that's kind of like what sin does to our GPS. Sin is like putting a virus in the system. All right? And so it throws our GPS off. That's the first thing. So if you don't know where you're going, it's a good thing to take inventory and say, God, is there some sin in my life that's preventing me from hearing you, preventing me from going to the place that you want me to go? But here's another reason. Sometimes we don't know where to go because God is simply saying, be still. And a lot of us struggle with stillness. We've said it before, we say it again. You're at a, you're living in a day and age where everything has access to you and you have access to everything. How can that not cloud our relationship with God? How can that not mess the GPS up? Because we always feel we have to be moving and we're moving for the wrong reasons. So sometimes it's because God is saying, be still. But here's the third reason. All right. Sometimes we don't know where to go and our GPS seems off because we want to go somewhere so bad we can't see where God wants us. I want to be in this place so bad and I'm getting so focused on wanting to be here that even if God was sitting here shouting at me, I wouldn't be able to hear him because I want what I want so bad. These are all things that can throw off the where we're going. Right? Now, there are also these moments and I think that are pretty awesome. How many of you have ever been at a place where, all right, you have to move? You have to move. All right, and you have two really good options before you. All right, and you're saying, okay, I, I have to move. I have to get out of one place in order to go to the other place. I've got two really great options in front of me, and I don't know what I'm doing. And let me just give you an example. Let's say, okay, you have to move out of the home that you're in, and there's a red house here, there's a blue house here. They're the same amount of money. They're in the same shape. And you're saying, okay, well, you know, I don't know what to do. I just know I have to get out of the one house to go to the other house. And you're not given a verse necessarily. And it doesn't feel like you're given a leading. What if in that moment what God gives you is freedom? Knowing exactly what you're going to do. He knows what you're going to do. He knows that you're going to choose the red house because that's your favorite color. 
All right? He knows you. He knows our hearts. But the only way you're going to know where to go is when you're in the right place here in the relationship with him. That's the only way you're going to get in the ballpark. Make sure your decisions are to do what you do to glorify him, to worship him, to honor him. And if that becomes what your main criteria is in your decision making, to say, is this going to glorify God? And if so, how? Those are two simple, really important, great questions to ask. But if you're in a state of confusion, then the first place you have to go, the first where, is to your face and into your prayer closet and worshiping Him and raising your hands and celebrating Him where you're at. Paul talked about being content in whatever circumstance he was in, despite the fact that he was in prison. Abraham wasn't given a where necessarily at first. He was just told, leave where you're at, because where you're at is a place of idol worship, and I'm going to show you where you're going. So let's take a look at our lives right now. Take inventory. Is there sin that's messing up the GPS? Is there an agenda that I have that's preventing God from taking me to the place that he wants to go? It wasn't like the wise men took a look and they said, you know what? You know, we see this star here. It could possibly mean this. Maybe we should go. Maybe we shouldn't. Let's make a little pros and cons list as to why we should. They're not doing that. They're being led by the Spirit. To be led by the Spirit, we have to be available to Him. How many of you spend time not just praying, because if I ask how many, how many of you spent time praying, some of you would say, well, we don't spend here enough time praying. But let me ask you this. How many of you spend time in listening prayer? Just intentionally listening and saying, okay, God, if you want to show me something right now, if you want to bring a verse to my mind, if you want to show me something right now, through your word, I'm available to you. And I'm just sitting here and I'm wanting to hear from you and I'm wanting to listen. Let me tell you something. In these times of sitting prayer, here's what I found. That there's sometimes I'm just sitting there. It feels like there's silence. There are sometimes where a verse is being brought to my mind or a situation and what to do in it is brought to my mind and God's giving real wisdom and real leading in that moment. But the fact of the matter is that we have to be available if we want to go to the place that he wants to take us. So there is the why we go where we go, and that's a matter of discernment. But then there's the where we go where we go, and that's a matter of direction. Let's continue in our passage. It's verse 3, and it says this. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Now, let's be 100% on this. Herod was a troubled dude anyway. Okay, He was a really troubled man. Herod. He had his wife killed because he thought she was conspiring against him. We said this last week. He had his wife killed because he thought that she was conspiring against him. But then he got remarried. He thought his sons were conspiring against them. He had them killed. Then he got remarried. He had that wife killed and her mother. And Jerry Springer's mouth watered, right? So, you know, it's like Jerry Springer sat and said, you know what, this is going to be a show today. You know? <laughs> so, sorry. <laughs> but then, listen, his, his other son Herod was not much better because he married his brother's wife. John the Baptist called him out on it. He didn't like that very much. But the Herods were a little bit messed up. And so when Herod the king heard this, that these wise men came looking for the king of the Jews, he was troubled. 
Why? Because he was paranoid anyway. This didn't help. There's a king. Where is he? Where is he? Let me know so I can go worship him. Okay. Verse 4 says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Stop right there. Does anybody have a problem with this passage? I do. Do you have a problem with it? Here's the problem with it. Obviously, the chief priests and the scribes knew exactly where the Messiah was going to be born. So why wouldn't they recognize Him as the Messiah? Wouldn't they recognize Him? ...place of the Messiah. They had the pieces of the puzzle right there, but they had been blinded by their own idol worship, which for them, in this case, it was their religion. And again, when we're just uh, being religious, and that becomes our idol, because religion can be just as much of an idol as money, and as fame, as anything else. When religion becomes an idol, and you're worshiping something worthless, then what happens is, you become like that idol. Alright? So your eyes become just as closed and dead as the eyes of your idol are. Your ears become just as deaf as that of your idol. Your mouth becomes just as silent and meaningless as that of your idol. You become like what you worship. So even if it was right in front of them, even if all the information was there, they're not going to worship Him. Why? Because they're too busy worshiping the God of their own devices. But they knew exactly where the baby was going to be born. Verse 7 said, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I also may come and worship him. Stop right there. Okay, little quiz for the church. For anybody here that, want, that really believes that Herod was going to worship the new king, please raise your hand. Please, nobody raise their hand. Ant okay, he was itching his ear. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> he went like this. Okay, so I'm just making sure. Okay, so nobody here believes that Herod was going to go worship the uh, king of the Jews. Nobody believes that, right? Look at how wise you are. Look at that. Verse 9 says this. It says, When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Stop right there. So the first thing is, it's the why we go. And that's our discernment. Then there's the where we go. And that's the direction. Then there's what we find when we get there. And that's a matter always of discovery. What you discover when you get there. Some come to the church for a religious experience. When God's saying, oh, no, 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 no. I got you here. I got you in the door. But what I want to do is I want to show you that this is really about relationship. And it's something better than anything that any of us could ever dream. 
Can you imagine that these guys were traveling for such a long time? Um, they were traveling, and as they're traveling, they finally knock on the door to the place that they're going. And what do they see? A toddler. They see a toddler. And yet, whatever it is that they saw, it says, when they saw the star, it says that they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. That's a lot of joy in one verse, right? I wonder if it could be said that there was a lot of joy in this one life, all right? They rejoiced exceedingly when they made the discovery. This was the piece of the puzzle that they had been looking for. All of their pondering, all of their philosophy, all their scientific knowledge, now it all made sense because they were given a leading and when they found what they were looking for, wow, wow, look at the way our God does things. Think about it, all right? You had the scribes and the chief priests and they didn't get it. And so what does God do? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take I'm going to take several wise men, astrologers from foreign lands, and they're going to even recognize what the Jewish leaders are going to recognize. Let's do it that way. And what they find is so above anything that they could have ever dreamt. The one thing that would make sense of it all, greater than anything they expected. Um unless you subscribe to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, then you probably missed the story back in May 17, 1987, before many of you were born, um, a man named Rob Cutshaw, who owned a little roadside shop outside Andrews, North Carolina. Like many in the trade, he hunts for rocks, what they call a rock hound. He hunts for rocks, then sells them to collectors or jewelry makers. He knows enough about rocks to decide which to pick up and sell, but he's no expert. He leaves the appraising of his rocks to other people. As much as he enjoys the work, it doesn't always pay the bills. He occasionally moonlights cutting wood to help put bread on the table. While on a dig 20 years ago, Rob found a rock he described as purdy and big. And he tried unsuccessfully to sell the specimen, and according to the Constitution, kept the rock under his bed and in his closet. He guessed the blue chunk could bring as much as $500, but he would have taken less if something urgent came up like paying his power bill. That's how close Rob came to hawking for a few hundred dollars what turned out to be the largest, most valuable sapphire ever found. The blue rock that Rob had abandoned to the darkness of a closet two decades ago is now known as the Star of David Sapphire. It weighs nearly a pound and could easily sell for $2.75 million. And it was right there. Listen, what you have in your hand is God's Word. Now, because you know we're, we're in a church like this, a mobile church, we've got the Bibles that we put on the table. You could take one of those home. We'd give it to you for free. But what is contained in it? Truth that can not only save a soul, but change a life. That's amazing. How God determined to do this. See, it's what we find when we get there. It's the discovery that we make that, wow, this really is the pearl of greatest price. But now, it's not only a matter of, it's not only a matter of what we find when we get there, it's what you do about it. And this is going to be the last point, all right? It's what they do about it. And that comes down to the fourth D word, and that's decision. 
Every time you come face to face with the truth, every time you come face to face with Jesus, you, my friend, have a decision to make. Whether to keep things going in your life the way they are, or to get out of the way, less of you, more of Him, and let Him change everything. Watch what happens to these men. It says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped Him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to Him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Stop right there for a second, because this is really, really important. What they do when they see the child. When they see the child, the first thing that they do is they worship Him. And then they offer their gifts. It's not the other way around, which is what we do in the church sometimes. Listen, all right, here's what we want to do. We want to come, we want to see Jesus, and then we just want to start uh, giving our gifts to God. No, it starts with worship. It starts with your worship. Because if our worship, if our heart with God isn't right, and if our heart with our fellow man isn't right, then what the Bible tells us to do, hey, leave your gifts at home. Don't bring them here. Don't bring them into my house. You're just going to get the house dirty. What God's saying is He's saying, listen... I'm giving you these gifts. It starts, what you do with them starts with worship. Now they'd been given the discernment through their seeking of God to bring these particular gifts. Gold, a symbol of kingship on earth. Frankincense, an incense which was a symbol of deity. And myrrh, which was an embalming oil which signified the death that this young baby would have, that this young child would experience. Gold, frankincense, myrrh given, but also this. Mary and Joseph weren't the wealthiest of couples. What would happen next, after these wise men were going to leave, well, Herod would say, you know what? We're going to set out to kill the children. It's called the massacre of the innocents in the Bible. And so what they were given by these wise men gave them enough provision to go on the rest of their journey. God knows exactly what we need when we need it. This is the Bible. This is the Word of God. It's what you do when you find Him. When you see Him, we worship. That should be our first thing. All right. When an angel of the Lord appears to people in the Bible, what is their response? They fall down as if dead in awe and shock and reverence. But it has to start with worship. You see worship in these men in much more than the gifts that they offer. When you consider the journey of the wise men, it's the time that they took to leave where they were from, to leave their foreign lands to come to this land. It's their reputation. What if they're wrong and they spent all this time and they brought these gifts and what they found wasn't there. So it was their reputation. It was their time. It was also the investment of the treasure of the gold and the frankincense and myrrh. But what you'll also see is this. It says, after they gave these gifts, they presented these gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Here's the other thing that showed their worship, the decision they made right there. Just like what we see with Rahab the spy in the book of Joshua that we're going to take a look at next Sunday night. And you see this in the book of Exodus when the midwives are told, listen, put the children to death. What is shown is their fear of God. They're saying, okay, listen, we're going to make a decision here based off the fear of God. We're not going back to Herod. We're going to go another way back to our country. And their decision tells you what they believe about this God that they found. It is a big deal. 
we're looking at wisdom as we come into the year 2020, the wisest thing we can do is get our heart right with God and worship. This is the single most important thing that we can do. Because the worship is the thing that makes everything else make sense. It puts everything else in perspective. And there are things that you can do. You can spend listening time in prayer. You can spend talking time in prayer. There are tools that we have as a church that you can, you can utilize. We're teaching through the Bible. We have a 40-day thing that you can go through on the Bible. There's the Bible project. There are all sorts of things that you can do to say, listen, I want to draw close to you. I want to know you more, God. There's all sorts of things. But these are things that you have responsibility to do. While we say again, that we, and we've said it before, and I'll reiterate this, it's something that I, I'd heard from a favorite pastor of mine. Okay, we know that God doesn't help them. When we say God helps them who help themselves, we know that that's not necessarily true. God helps those who couldn't help themselves. But He also won't do for you what you can do for yourself. He's not going to pick up your Bible for you. He's not going to put out your resume for you. He's not going to get on your knees for you. These are things that we can do as we get into 2020. But here's the other thing that we need, gang. And this one is really, 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 really important. It's accountability. For the determinations that we make right now, I'm not big on New Year's resolutions. There's a new year coming, and I do want to make some changes. And I've already started making some new changes. But I don't have to wait until January 1st hits. I can start making them today. Because the best time to make your adjustment is when you hear God say, make the adjustment. Oh God, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to gouge myself for the rest of the year. And then on January 1st, I'm going to go on a diet. No. All right? Make your adjustments the moment that you hear from Him. The best time to obey God is when He speaks to you. Because what may happen is this. There may be times when you find that we are, that He seems silent. Love that. <laughs> I want to close you today as we're emphasizing the importance of worship as we begin this year. I want to close you today with a story. It's about a song called The Heart of Worship. It's not one of those classic hymns like Amazing Grace or Abide With Me or How Great Thou Art. They have great stories to them, but in the late 1990s, Matt Redmond's home church in Watford was going through a spiritually tough time. The worship band's musical creativity was on a high making new and influential songs for the local church with an impact on church worship nationwide, even worldwide. Yet, recalled Redmond, there was something missing. So the pastor did a pretty brave thing. The pastor was Mike, and I don't know if I can pronounce his last name, Mike Pilavachi. He asked his congregation what they, listen, he asked his congregation what they were bringing to God in worship, or if they were just there as consumers soaking up the music. His point was that the band and the church had lost their way in worship. And the only solution was to strip out every diversion and distraction. And that included the entire sound system and the worship band. Then the music faded. Initially, Matt remembers unplugging just led to an embarrassing silence. But eventually, the congregation rediscovered their own voices, singing unaccompanied, offering up heartfelt prayers, and encountering God in a 
By the time they felt sufficiently ready to reintroduce the musicians and sound system, the church had found a new perspective on worship, that it's all about Jesus, and that it's a response from the heart. Compelling Redmond during this time to sit down and write these words. When the music fades, and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. We're going to stand right now. And I just want to sing the song. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm not going to ask you to come up today or anything else. I just want you to, if you're having trouble with the heart of worship, with your own personal heart right now, I just want you to cry out to God as if this song, as if this it was this very song, um, as if it were this very song that was your prayer to say, God, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. So let's sing to Him now. The heart of worship.